0: Alright, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now what we've been talking about in Sunday school is, is the, uh, the proper kind or what it is you're supposed to be looking for when it comes to preaching. And to the best of my knowledge, most people don't really know as much about it as they think they do and they don't recognize or realize because the preacher gets up and preaches. If you're raised in the South, uh, then you've been exposed to all kinds of preaching. And it's not just Catholic and charismatic and Church of Christ. It's all different kinds and varieties. And if you're raised around that, it gives you automatically an idea or a definition of what you think it is. I remember hearing a story one time about a a young boy who went out and he told his grandma. He said, Grandma, I've been called to preach. And she said, Well, let me hear you preach. And he said, Well, the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And she said, Boy, you ain't called to preach. You need to go back and pray more. And so he wept and cried a little bit and he went back in his room and he prayed some and prayed some. And he said, "Uh, Grandma, I really do believe I'm called to preach. She said, let me hear you preach. And he said, well, you know, for God so loved the world and he forgave uh, his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him, she said, boy, I told you, you ain't called to preach. You want to go back and pray. So he goes back in there and pray and he stubs his toe on the way out and he's crying, as he's coming out of the room and he's bawling and crying and, and she said, well you so upset about it. She said, well Grandma, I know I'm, I'm called to preach. She said, let me hear you preach. Now I remember he stubbed his toe, he said, well for God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. And she said, glory to God, we got us a preacher, you know. <laughs> Preacher's not in just delivery. That's old days. You older folks will remember that. They call that hacking. It sounds like they're trying to bring a hawker up or something, or they sound like a long winded mule uh, and those kind of things. That stuff's distracting to me. And you know, some people they preach that way, but they get going. Now, there's a tempo or a rhythm to that. And that's what they're actually trying to accomplish. It's called a cadence. I'm not talking about delivery. I'm talking about content. I'm not talking about the volume of somebody or the ability for an individual to be able to speak. If you want to talk about somebody that is a good orator and don't throw up in your mouth, Joel Osteen is a good orator. You say, how could you say something like that? I'm not talking about his content. I'm talking about his ability to be able to put stuff across without upsetting or offending people. And he smiles all the time, and he disarms people with that smile. But he never says anything. You don't ever have to worry about him sticking you while he's smiling at you. Everything's positive, and everything's nice, and everything's sweet. And what he does is, is he disarms you. When you go in there, you're thinking, boy, everything's going to be great. And live your best life today, and God wants you to be healthy and prosperous. All that appeals to your flesh. But it's still preaching. Now, I don't recommend you do this until you get pretty well grounded in things like that. But there was a man that came along in the uh, late 30s and 40s and into the first part of the latter part of the 40s there. His name was Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler came along and he came up through the ranks and stuff like that. And then him in the brown shirts, the knight of the long knives, all that. That's a historical thing. And that guy was anti-Semitic and anti-black and anti-gay and anti-everything else. And he took an entire nation. Now, now you, you have to study this. He went into the nursing homes and stuff, put padlocks on them and let the people die. Of all races, colors, and creeds and he went into the same thing and he made uh, where pink first came out anybody that was a homosexual he put them in pink and he put yellow stars on Jews and if you were not uh, born of a a quote the Aryan race he was able to take that statement now think about this the power of his preaching he turned an entire nation and took over three quarters of the then known world with words he never fired a shot you say, what was it? That was demonically inspired preaching. Yes, you listen to some of the guys, their testimony when they listen to the guy preach, and he's standing up there, hundreds of thousands of people that are listening to him, and they said that it would make their blood boil so much they'd have to go jump in the Rhine River to cool off just because he motivated them with words. You say, what is that? It's preaching. Preaching is something that is supposed to stab or to stick, but it's also something that motivates and informs. And if you don't recognize it, what you ought got to realize is it's nothing to do with just the delivery. It has to do with the content. You've heard many, many times individuals talk about the way you talk to an animal. An animal doesn't discern words. You can tell an animal you love them but scream at them while you're saying that. And that animal thinks you're mad at them. You're telling them the whole time, I love you, you're the greatest dog in the world. And they're bowed down, man, they got the paws over their ears, and they're thinking, man, you've got to be kidding me. And then you can tell them, I'm going to take you out back, and I'm going to shoot you, and you're, the, you're the, the worst dog I've ever had. And boy, did that tail will get going like that, man. They'll come up there and lick your paws and all. They can't discern words. They discern tone. Now, you're trained to discern tone. That's YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram. You're trained to observe with your eyes. You're visually driven. That's why preaching is boring to you. Because there's no picture that goes with it. Or you got a guy up here looks like a whiskey barrel with pipe cleaners for legs. And you're thinking, boy, that ain't nothing to look at. And so you're, you're visually driven. So now what they do is they got to do something to keep you optically entertained. And you're not paying attention to content. If it gets boring, you just flip the channel. Or what are they, what's the thing they call that scroll? You, you just scroll up to another thing and you change it like this. Well, then what happens? You come to church and it's like, man, this guy, is he ever going to shut up? He's been talking three minutes. Right? And then if I happen to get on something you know you're guilty of and the Holy Spirit sitting on your chest, you feel like you're going to have a heart attack. You're trying to scroll the channel, mash the button, Right? Man, when I grew up in the days where, you know, that's one of the jobs boys did. You had to put aluminum foil on the rabbit ears. And then when it came, you had an automatic channel changer. Boy, get up and change the channel. (laughs) And you got up and click, 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 click. We thought we'd died and gone to heaven up in the mountains where I came from when they got a UHF channel. Everything else was VHF. You got that thing, you can turn it to UHF and you got some snow all the time. But you got another channel nobody else had had, you know, with ultra high frequency or whatever it was and, and that kind of a deal. But that thing didn't change. The first time I went to somebody's house, they had a remote control. It looked like a brick. That thing was so big. And when you touch the thing like that, it would, it would hold down and click, you know, click, 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 not like you have nowadays. And I went there and my dad was uh, sitting at the table and I whispered at him. I said, Daddy. He said, What, boy? I said, These people are rich. And I said, how do you know that? He said, and I said, they got an automatic TV (laughs) changer. And he said, but I still have you. (laughs) You want me to replace you? No, no, no. (laughs) Now, what I'm doing is going through some passages here to try to show you so that you get the proper perspective on how to listen to things. You want spirit-filled preaching. You want somebody that when they're talking to you, you, don't, you have to understand. Now, this is important for you to get a hold of, and this is going to be a little bit hurtful to some of you. The mistake that many people make when it comes to preaching is they think it's supposed to be appealing to their flesh. When you're here, you're supposed to be getting spiritual food. We're feeding the other dog. And so what we're trying to do is put spiritual food in here. If I want to just placate or make your flesh feel good, then I have to preach on carnal, fleshly subjects, uh, like uh, how to have a better marriage, or how to have a, be financially successful, or how to be successful at work, or how to learn to get along with your fellow man, or you know how to have a better life now, that kind of thing. All that stuff's your flesh. That's motivational speaking. You can go pay uh, some of those guys out there millions of dollars and they'll pump you up and see you at the top. But when you come to church, somebody will walk out and they'll say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Which one? If you're saved here today, you're schizo. So Don't be diagnosing me. I'm not. I'm telling you what the Bible says. you got the old man and the new man. And now that you're saved, we're trying to put the old man down. The weirdest thing in the world, he's supposed to be dead, but mine's alive every day. I wish he'd stay in bed, but he doesn't. So that old man is there, and then I have to put on. It requires effort to put on the new... But you can't put the new man over the old man. The old man has to go, and then the new man has to come in. So when you come to church, what you're looking for is something feeding the new man. The Bible you have in your lap right there is not just to make you a better moral entity or to make your community safer, or anything like that. Bible is written to you to feed your soul. It has eternal things in mind. As a matter of fact, you'll know from this morning's message, if you stay around for it, you'll recognize that as a Christian, you're not promised that everything's going to go right down here on the earth for your flesh. And if you don't prepare and look at that the right way as far as your soul is concerned, ladies and gentlemen, you know what will wind up happening? You'll quit because you're looking and your expectations are that, well, I'm serving the Lord, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm giving, I'm doing, I'm going, I'm witnessing, I'm doing all whatever the list might be. And things are just getting worse and worse and worse. See, it doesn't make sense to your flesh. But if I show you the spiritual side of it in this morning's message, you'll be like, oh, wait a minute. He's preparing something for something eternal. Now when you come to church, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for that first guy to get fed, I failed as a preacher. I'm a failure. Preacher, why don't we run 5,000 people? Because I'm not feeding your flesh. I'm not supposed to. The Bible says these words are spirit and their life. Faith cometh by and hearing by. Okay, well then I'm supposed to give you what the book says. Not close the book and put it up on a screen. Give you the book to hold me accountable and you accountable too where you can see it and read it for yourself. You say, but I cannot. Un- no, the natural man can understand the things of the Spirit for they are spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. The Bible said, neither can he know them. Now if you're in a carnal, black-slidden state, the Holy Spirit will just deal with you as a matter of what's called conviction. What that means is, is the Holy Spirit, instead of working through you, He's working back to you to try to get you to come back out of the pig pen and come back into fellowship with Him. And so all you hear, no matter what, no matter who sings, you can hear the announcements being given, and the whole time the Holy Spirit's saying, Come home. Come home. What are you doing in the pig pen? What are you doing out here? You smell like hog dewy. Come home come home, and then you get mad. Every time that preacher gets up, man, He just getting on me one way or the other. That's because you're listening with the wrong ears. Amen. And once you get things in fellowship with the Lord, the first thing you do is, is your spirit will say, boy, that's some good eating, man. I'm enjoying that. And your flesh says, I hate that. The preacher's doing his job. Somebody, one of you should be upset today. You should leave here upset. If I do my job, you should leave here upset. That's the fleshly you. The other one should walk out and go, man, that was good, boy. I had a good time. You ever wonder why sometimes people are shouting when you know they're going through all kind of trouble? They got through Hail Columbia going on down here on this earth and they're shouting and bawling and squalling and having them a good time. That's the other guy shouting. That's the guy that's been set free, seated with him in heavenly places, already walking on streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper, already having the time. Man, how are you able to shout like that in prison, Paul? Well, I got to be honest with you. It's not really me. It's uh, another one that's up there in heaven. Who is that? I got a Hebrew name up there. I can't be telling you that kind of stuff. But Paul, you just got beat with an inch of your life and you're in here singing Amazing Grace and the doxology. And Paul said, man, ain't God good, man? I'm not a prisoner of these Romans. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Which one's talking? It ain't the fleshly Paul. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul's guys that struggle in Romans chapter 7. So do you understand? So that you understand that. Because if you come from places, and I don't mean to belittle them, make fun of them, mock them, or anything like that. Please don't be offended by this. If you come to, from places that all they do is just talk about the here and now and what's best for you tomorrow. And you come to a place like this, and I'm talking about something that happens when you're dead. When you kick off, When you're put to bed with a shovel, and I'm telling you about eternity, your flesh is going to go, what good does that do me for tomorrow? Let me tell you this, if you become so headily good, you're no longer earthly any good, and any good earthly, the Lord will take you out of here. There's never been a person so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. But you have to know which dog's getting fed when you come in the door. And your spiritual dog don't like sheep food. I mean, your spiritual dog, your, your spiritual dog don't like uh, fleshly food. The old nature, he can't stand sheep food. It says, my sheep. You say, what is that? You're a sheep. You don't have canines. You're not know, a meat eater. You're a sheep food eater. You've got teeth that are down there, and you're eating and grazing and eating and grazing and eating and grazing and those kind of things. When you get a piece of meat, you've got to chew it a long time before you swallow it. You don't rip it and tear it. That's Paul. The sincere milk of the word is where you start, and then you go with bread, and then you go with some fruit, and then the next thing you know, you begin to get your apples and those kind of things, and then you move along there and you have some hamburger, and then before long you get some strong meat. That's all for your flesh. No, it's for your spirit. <laughs> and so you have to be careful about that. All right, the apostle Paul's talking about. We went down through the passage here in first Corinthians or first Thessalonians two. And then Paul says in verse number eight, being affectionately desirous of you, willing to have imparted to you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you're dear unto us. Amen. Now Paul said there's a little bit more to the ministry than just getting up in a pulpit and talking to you. Sure. You've got to put your skin in the game, as they say. You've got to be willing to put out effort. Anybody that's uh, preaching to you is going to have to put hours and hours and hours of time in the book to be able to feed you. It takes an average of eight hours to feed for an hour. I may be a little slower than most people, but the average is about eight hours. You say, what? That's eight hours per message. You say, well, Preacher Dun- No, I have a responsibility to make sure you get well fed. Let me ask you a question. If I'm going to pour grain into a, a, a bin here today for you to eat, and i got a bin laid out here, and i got grain going. I don't care if it's corn or, or, uh, or oats or whatever it might be. How long before that was ready to be put in the grain bin did it take it to grow? Did it take a while? Yep. I mean, you put that little tiny corn seed in there, about big as your pinky, right? You put three of them in a hole if you've done much farming, and you put three of them in there, and then when they all happen to crop up, you've got to pull out the weeds of the other ones and don't mess it up before they get too big. But at any rate, that corn comes up there, and then it begins to tassel out, and a little top comes on it, and then here comes that uh, little thing of corn. It'll be about that big, and then it'll be about that big, and then it'll be about that big, and, that big, and it still ain't ready. And then you walk through there and all of a sudden you realize it's up about so high and you reach over there and pop, pop that thing off and peel those silks down, right? Yes, and if it's real good sweet corn, especially, you can eat it raw. Yeah. Yeah. But it isn't done yet if you're going to feed cows with it. it. Right. Now you've got to take it and get it off the cob. Yes, sir. Yeah. Then you've got to dry the sugar out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You say, why? Because it'll rot. So then why do they dry it out? You ever seen corn? I call it cow corn. You ever seen cow corn? It's in a bag and it's hard. Why is that? It's been dried out. It's preserved. It's preserved. When that cow begins to masticate that food, he's a rudiment uh, uh, animal. That means he's got multiple stomachs and that kind of a thing. You know what he begins to do? He begins to break it down and he breaks it down, and he breaks it down, and he gets the nutrients out of that thing. And then before long, listen now, before long, that corn turns into meat for the feeding of somebody else. It's gone, it's gone through seven stomachs. I think you got a book there that says it purified in the furnace of earth seven times. I think. I think that's what it says. <laughs> It runs through there. You say, well, how does that happen? That's a metamorphosis that cries from what's the cow supposed to do? Eat it. Yep. Swallow it. Yep. Eat it. Swallow it. Yep. Now let me ask you a question. How long did it take before that calf that's Ooh. just been hatched out and you're going to raise him up and make a beef cow out of him? How long before that cow's ready to eat? Mm. It takes a while, doesn't it? Yes, sir. It takes a while. 20 years, they say. 20 years to make a message because it takes 20 years to make a man. Say, so what is that? A Preaching is not something I do. It's what I am. Amen. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to become what you're eating. Amen. So what I'm supposed to do now is, is break it down and put some over here for the little calves and put some over here for the suckling babies and put some over here for a little bit more mature. that are not quite ready to go to steak, but they can eat a hamburger, you know, and break it up into pieces there and then throw a ribeye on there. Yeah. About two and a half inches or three inches thick. Seared on either side real good. Pat or two of butter on there. A little bit of sea salt and you cut off as big a piece as you want. Right? But you don't just swallow that whole, do you? What do you have to do if you're going to eat the steak? Don't you have to chew it? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to give you something to eat and then you got to spend some time. It's not instantaneous like salvation. Now Paul said, listen, he didn't say the reason he comes with power is it's not just because Paul talks a good talk. He walks the walk. Amen. Sometimes the old saying is, is that our walk is speak so loudly they can't hear what we're saying. All right, notice as you come on down there in verse number nine, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. That's the death, burial, and resurrection. you need a crane to help you with that baby? I'm not making fun of her. That's a whopper baby, man. That's almost 12 pounds of bundle of joy there, man. I'm thinking, anyway, that's a lot of baby. (laughs) That really is some baby. (laughs) All right, and then he says you're witnesses. In other words, it's a public kind of a thing. It's not this idea that you uh, do something in private and nobody else knows about it. uh, The the preacher's life, believe it or not, whether you're going to like this or not, uh, the preacher's life is a public life. Now, I hate to tell you that, but if you're called to preach, you have to get used to people being in your backyard all the time. You say, what? And they look over the fence, and they look at what you're doing, and they're checking you all the time. You say, what is that? Well, that's part of being in the limelight. You, you're a public servant. Like some of you in here, you live your whole life. You run around out here, and you wear, back in the day, a uniform. you got a car with a shield on the side and blue light. Every time somebody sees you, you stand out in the crowd. Every time you show up, people aren't really always glad to see you. You're a party pooper. And you walk in and you stand out in the crowd and what do they do? They're watching you. Like old uh, Grandma Holland used to say. I think it was her last. I can't remember. Yeah, I believe it was last name. But anyway, I called her Grandma. She'd walk around shuffling in those house shoes and come by the room there, you know, watching you, watching you. Well, if you're going to be a, a preacher or you're going to be a Christian, get ready for your life to be a spectacle. Stop with this foolish, carnal foolishness of, you know, don't judge me. Yeah. Right. Why? Are you doing something you shouldn't be judged? Right. Right. I mean, you know what you would want to say? You want your boss to judge you, don't you? Because you want to raise. Right. Well don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge me. Why? You're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You now be careful about making too much of your private life public. Thanks to all the social media stuff, some of you guys, you all make your private life public, and then you get mad when you can't cut it off. You open the door, and guess what? I hate to tell you, they'll have a stampede running through that door. You don't get to all of a sudden slam the door and go, "Hey you hadn't go. You opened the door. You sent out the text, you sent out the email, you sent out the whatever all that stuff is. I can't even keep up with that. You know what you're doing? You're saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. You put pictures out of yourself. Man, if you knew what people did with the pictures, you wouldn't be putting the pictures out. But that's just a way of getting fame, I guess, you know. That spotlight, you know, you're in a bright thing. Yeah, it shows every crack you got. And it's also hot in that spotlight. You know, all these people that are, that are uh, celebrities and stuff out in California, they're always talking about the Pavarazzi. Well, you put yourself on a movie screen, what do you expect? Right, right. That's it. Christian, you've got to get used to that. The Bible says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Well, you've got to have enough sense about you to know when to judge. Just be careful when it comes to judging that you're not judging the little tiny speck in somebody's eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your head. Amen. And every time you move your head, you're swatting somebody else with it. I get a little bit for both sides here. You're, you're funny about that. You're funny in reference to the way the Lord sees it, judging somebody for something that don't amount to a row of pins, a gnat, and you swallowing a camel. And I don't mean camel, filterless cigarettes, if they're even still around. That's not the kind of camel. You ought to swallow those. Amen. You can always tell when somebody smokes some camels. You say, why? They don't have anything to ride. <laughs> you know how you know somebody smokes camels or they smoke dope all the time? Their fingers are yellow. The nicotine's on their fingers. They'll smoke it down to the last possible thing. They don't even have a filter to hold it on to, man. Anyway, that's just free. For, that's free. Doesn't cost you nothing. <laughs> all right, now Paul's just saying to this, he said, you, you got to be what you say you are. Wouldn't that be a blessing? I realize there's hypocrites in the church. I understand that. I really do. Uh, But you know what? I think the better thing to do than to gripe about people talking about the hypocrites is stop being a hypocrite. That'd be the best way. That'd, That'd cure them from sucking eggs, wouldn't it? If they could look at the church and go, well, I can't use that one anymore. At least they're trying to be what they are. Just because you're not a hypocrite doesn't mean that you don't sin. It just means you're not a hypocrite about it. All right, and then Paul says this about the gospel there. That's 1 Corinthians 15, death, burial, and resurrection. And he said, you're a witness. And God also, how holy and justly and unblamably behaved ourselves among you that believe. There is a code of conduct for a preacher. You can't do things everybody else can do. It might even be lawful and legal. You can't go places everywhere else goes. That's called the loneliness of command. You don't get to do what everybody else does. You say, why? You're set apart. I can make an application for you as Christians, but that's not what Paul said. Paul said, when I'm among you, we live holily and a separated Christian life. That means I can't go the places. I can't listen to the stuff. I can't hang out. I can't tell the jokes. I can't get that edgy stuff going on. You know, that little, just a little cussing and swearing every now and then, you know, and just a little innuendo here and there and those kind of things. Paul said, you saw how holily, that's separated, sanctified, unblameably... Living my life so if somebody doesn't say, well, Paul, this is what I heard. Now, Paul got some false accusations. But the evidence, there was never any evidence to support it. Now, if I was teaching a preacher's class here, not that I would be the prince of preachers to teach it, but if I was teaching a preacher's class, I'd camp on that verse right there. Because you have to recognize if you're going to get up in front of people and shoot your mouth off and talk about the way you talk for an hour at a time or sometimes three or four times a week or for me sometimes ten times in a week, you have to expect the fact that somebody's going to pick you apart, constantly be picking you apart and, 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 and gnawing at you. The old preacher used to call it, he says it ain't the sharks that get you, it's the little minnows that take little tiny bites at a time that, that irritate you. You've got to get accustomed to that. That's how God says you're supposed to live your life. Amen. You don't get to do what everybody else does. Preacher, can't you go let your hair down? No, I need a haircut, as a matter of fact. But <laughs> preacher, can't you can't you just, you know, kinda no? A well, preacher, wouldn't it be okay if you just come with us? I mean, we won't we won't say nothing or no. No. Amen. Amen. no, you do without whatever you want to do with that. But as a preacher, I can't do that. Well, preacher, you know, just put your shorts on and go on and so forth. Can't do that. She said, nothing wrong. I didn't say there's anything wrong with you, but, I, but I'm not coming to church in shorts. I'm wearing a coat and tie for a reason. For me, it's a uniform. See how still you got right there? I didn't, I didn't put that standard on you. I said, I'm called to a higher standard. I was required for years to wear a uniform. Can you imagine the audacity of that? Those people down at that place, they actually had the audacity to insult my intelligence and write down and draw me pictures as to how I was supposed to wear everything, including my hair and my mustache. And then they would come in in roll call in front of everybody and see if I had complied. Can you imagine that? Have a guy walking by and then ask me for my firearm and say, you could grow a garden in this thing, man, you know, clean it up and that kind of a deal. Can you imagine they had the audacity to do that? So, well, preacher, that's, that's how it ought to be. Oh. Okay, Christian, or are you in or out of uniform? Oh. Thanks, there used to be a thing down at this old 7-Eleven Liberty. They brought it over to 501. There used to be a thing over there. You're on the way out the door of the drill hall. I don't know if it's there. It's been years. It used to say, does my appearance command respect? Good. Well, I don't know. Does it? Your face is a billboard for Jesus Christ, is it? Good. How you dress, does it point people to them or to you? I'll give you a dress code. Do what you want to do. You know how some of you prayed. I know you prayed and prayed and prayed. I know the Baptist prayer. You know, you pray and say, you know, how are you going to pray to God? You pray to God and say, Lord, give me wisdom. That's your way of saying, "Lord, uh, give me wisdom on how to spend the money when you send it to me, like you did Solomon." And I'm asking for wisdom because I really want money. (laughs) Or some of you got hung up on that prayer, prayer of Jabez. You remember that? (laughs) Lord, increase my borders. Do you remember that? I think some of you prayed it. Look down around your belt line. (laughs) God answers prayer. Um, I'm sorry, I'm judging you, for, pardon me. I, I'm, I'm not, listen, listen. <laughs> you get older, you have to eat less and exercise more just to try to be able to maintain something, man. I mean, my brick wall looks like a mudslide now, man. That's just, that's just part of it. It makes you ready to get out of here. You know, there ain't much worth living here for. All right, the Apostle Paul's saying there's an example that you have to set. And then he says this in verse number 11, and he said, as we know, we exhorted and comforted. We're talking about preaching and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Now, he's saying here, there's a couple of things there that are in the passage. We encouraged you, we comforted you, but we also gave you some responsibility. As a father does what? Not always getting on to you, but give you correction. Sometimes a father has to say to his boy, it's time you get off your... Uh, blessed assurance, and get out there and get to work. Right. Right. You realize how unusual getting somebody to work is nowadays? Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, you get a kid that goes out there and they're shooting basketball and they get the ball stuck in the, between the hoop and the backboard, and you say, go out there and get a hoe handle and knock it out of that. And you go, What's a hoe? Right. It ain't 8th and Main. Right. Right. It's something you grub the ground with. Right. If you don't know what a rake, a shovel, a pickaxe, an axe... You don't know what that is? You you have missed life. You ever had calluses on your hands? And ma'am, if if your mama comes out to you and says your hair looks like a mop and you go, well, is that a compliment or not? What is a mop? If you don't know what a mop and a broom is and a dustpan, all you know is a rumba or a ruba or whatever the automatic thing is, I'm being practical with you. A father saying, get off your lazy behind and get to work, boy. Time to go to work. You say, Well, you know, I don't really think you're that. The Lord says, When He comes, will He find anybody faithful? You say, What are we doing? A little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands. You don't have to work. You know, back in the old days, if you didn't work a 60 hour a week, people thought you were lazy. Yep. Nowadays, you expect to make $40 an hour and work two or three hours a day, and you're thinking, I got to have a break, man. I mean, kids nowadays, these young kids, they're in Sunday school right now. But these young kids now, you young girls that are coming along, you're in college and stuff like that. you got guys went out of high school, went into college. They're on a scholarship. Or mom and dad are footing the bill. They ain't never had a a shovel or a rake or post hole diggers. They ain't poured concrete. They ain't driving a nail. They don't know how to change a tire. They ain't have no grease underneath their fingernails. They don't know anything about life. And then you're talking about they want to marry you. Come on! But then I guess you're going to be their mama and take care of them. I feel sorry for you girls. I really do. I'd, I would send them an application. I'm not kidding you. Let me fill out the questions. I'm, I'm just saying. If you were my daughter, somebody's wanting to court you, I'd be like, I'm going to send you an application in the mail. Snail mail. And you're going to fill it out, write it. You ain't going to have no chat bot GPT fill it out for you. You're going to write it in your own handwriting. And if I can't read it, disqualified. Yeah. Yeah. You look at kids writing nowadays? It's worse than any doctor you've ever seen. That doctor has a right to scribble that thing on there because he's been to enough school to justify that. And nowadays you see kids, you're like... They brought hieroglyphics back. <laughs> this has got to be Egyptian. There's no way anybody can get... Can you read that? You put on your glasses, you get a microphone, you look at that. You got no idea. Nowadays, you know what it is. You have guys come along and they, they want to get right out of uh, school and they want to get married. They want you to take care of them. Wash their clothes and cook their meals and clean their house and take care of them and all that other kind of stuff along the way. And never hit a lick at a snake. Well, you go to work, you know. I'll sit at home and play video games. Oh. I'm pre- am I preaching now? Or, maybe I, or, or am I meddling? Maybe I'm meddling a little bit. <laughs> uh, now, nowadays, it's good for kids to get out and get busy. Amen. I was thinking maybe during lunch today, what we'll do is get a bunch of push rooms from up at the Lowe's over there and have you sweep the parking lot. Amen. Amen. You say, why? Because it's dirty. People are walking through it. We're to keep the carpet nice. Amen. Well, they dug a ditch, you know, and all that. Well, what are they going to do? Well, what's the matter, twinkle toes? Can't you get out there and swinkle? <laughs> Well get the blower. No, it'll blow dirt all over everything. Get a broom. Shh, well, shh. Shh. Shh shh. Let's get in a mighty big pile. Get the shovel. What's that? Well, for this one it's a square point. You get it? And put it in a pile. How am I doing? If whoever's dating you don't know how to do that, Can you spell divorce? Because after all the luster wears off, and his dirty clothes are piled up in the corner, and there's a ring in the bathtub, and the toilet seat's still up, and you go in at 3 o'clock in the morning, help me, Lord, am I being too plain for you? And you're like, and where did you, were you raised in the barn? What's the matter? I hate to tell you, you ain't going to change him. (laughs) Spoken by somebody that's got a daughter. (laughs) Sometimes you got to be a father in the pulpit. Sometimes people need instruction. Now let me say this to you, we're talking about preaching. Sometimes people get offended... When the preacher takes on the role of the father and says, Hey, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And speaks it authoritatively, not with a question mark. As a father. Don't you know what's best for your kids? For the most part, don't you? I mean, after a while you wonder. The older you get, don't you tell me you don't think, Where did I go wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. That kid just wired up backwards. Parents, let me let you off the hook. Grandparents, let me let you off the hook. You, you did the best you could. That kid did not come out with an instruction manual. Can I get a witness? Lord have mercy. Y'all locking up on me this morning. It's like, oh, hey, special manual. No, they can't mass produce that. You say, why? Every one of them different as a snowflake. You can't just apply certain things across the board. You learn about that kid and how that kid learns and how that kid reads and what you have to do. And some kids, you look at a man, they're bawling and squalling. And the other kids, you beat the daylights out in, in a proper perspective. And, and they just stand there like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why Are you mad at me? Why are you so upset? It's like, did you have a lobotomy? What is wrong with you? By the way, we do check your kids when they come in the nursery to see if there's a 666 up here. You say, why? Sometimes they take after their parents. (laughs) There's a purpose to acting like a father. Look in verse number 12, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto the kingdom and glory. Can I say this? Fathers are oftentimes instructive. They tell you things you don't already know. I'll say this real quickly about my dad. I had a good dad, and I went through a little period of time, very brief though it may be, where I actually kind of thought I was right there on par. And the older I got, the smarter I realized my dad was. And ashamed of some of the things that I put him through while he was teaching me, but I do know this. I know that my dad, not just in a sense of mechanical things, there was a lot of wisdom my dad imparted to me and taught me some things that I didn't know that came from a good father. Sometimes you get that kind of instruction from a good father. It cut off years and years and years of mistakes in your life. I was with the old preacher one time and he said, Hey, I'd like for you to go with me. He's going to go meet these uh, fellas. May have told you this before, but he's going to meet with these uh, preachers. He said, there'll be about 125 years or so of experience sitting at the table there. And he said, I'd like for you to come and just uh, be there. And so I said, yes, sir. I appreciate that. That was a privilege. All these old guys have been around for years. You know, they're all 60s, 70s, some of them, 80s that were there and have a big round table there and, and sit down and talk. He said, I'd like for you to, bless you, I'd like for you to come around twice I'd, and, and that thing. I said, okay. I said, I'd be glad to. We get in the car. We're driving the road. He said, now, remember something and I said yes sir he says uh, two ears one mouth I said yes sir I understand and he said they might ask you something about maybe law enforcement you know a little about that but he said what these guys are going to be talking about he said you don't know nothing about it yep. I said yes sir I understand and so we got ready to get out of the car and he <laughs> I said I got it yes sir and we're sitting there we got finished with everything and a couple of things transpired and we got back in the car. And he said, let me tell you why I told you that. And I said, yes, sir. He said, you know something, if I'd have had enough sense to get around some of these older men when I was coming up and coming through the ranks, he said, I could have saved myself 10 years of trouble. And he said, sometimes you'll sit around the table and nothing much gets said. But he said, sometimes there'll be one thing that'll, save that'll, that'll be said that'll save you 10 years of heartache and trouble in the ministry. Because of some pain they've been through. He said, you don't always have to experience anything personally, everything personally. You can experience it through somebody else and learn from their mistakes. I thought, that's profound. That's a good father. Sometimes preaching is instructional. You say, what? To help you avoid pitfalls. The preacher gets up and tells you to watch certain things, pay attention to certain things, uh, to get your head out of the sand about certain things. Sometimes all he's trying to do is look out for you so you don't fall off in the ditch. I told you a long time ago, uh, uh, the illustration I gave you, as a matter of fact, I think I gave it to you a couple of weeks ago, when I was going to work that morning and the bridge was up. And remember the illustration? And I'm just trying to divert. People out of the way so they don't drive off the end of the bridge too? Well, sometimes a preacher is just instructed to keep you from driving off into the bridge. That's all it is. Don't Don't be offended by it. Preaching can be personal or it can feel personal. But don't ever think that it's the preacher putting a scope on his Bible and aiming at you individually. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. The Lord does that. I'd be preaching sometimes, and somebody over here is shouting "Amen." And somebody here is crying, and somebody here is laughing and saying "Glory." And somebody over here is sound asleep or whatever. And you're thinking, you know, what's the difference in that? That's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. Sometimes people come to the altar because they're under conviction, and sometimes they're coming to the altar to pray for somebody else, and sometimes they're coming to the altar to thank God for what He's done. You say, well, "What business is it your?" It's none of your business. You, I say, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you know you're. You're seeing who's coming because you want to know how long it's going to be before you get out. <laughs> Do you see so-and-so who went to the altar today? Yeah, why didn't you? I hope they went to the altar to get the thing fixed between me and them. Maybe they're not the one that needs to be at the altar. So you have to be careful about that stuff, ladies and gentlemen, as you begin to move through this, and sometimes a father, he'll come along and he'll give you instruction, and I'll say this real quickly. Uh, sometimes all fathers are not old. But if you're giving you instruction from a book, I had some instructors that were, some of them were 10, 11, 15 years younger than me, but they knew more about the subject I was being told to study than I knew. They were experts at it. I learned things from them, even though I was older. But you know what you have to do? You have to swallow that pride. Not seniority in the local church, folks. You have to be willing to understand that sometimes God uses uh, vessels as He sees fit and He has an obedient vessel. They'll get up and give you something and you're thinking, well, that's a stinking punk. Who is He to tell me? If He's speaking from the book, He's speaking for the Ancient of Days. That's God talking to you. That ain't Him talking to you. Why right, we're going-